Welcome to the Helping Hands podcast with me, Gail Louise Turner. On this podcast, I will be chatting to inspirational people and I will be finding out about their life story, their influences and how they give that extra helping hand every day. If you'd like to follow me, please go to my Facebook, which is Gail Louise Turner or on my Instagram, which is Gail GLT. Each episode of the Helping Hands podcast will be having an accompanying Spotify playlist with my guest musical influences. This can be found under Helping Hands podcast playlist on Spotify. Now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy the show. My guest today is Erica Crampton, a founder and editor of Hope Scene designed to help people feeling low, which is available on Etsy. Now, Erica is also a mental health keynote speaker, an activist, freelance journalist and author. If you would like to follow Erica, please visit her website on www.ericacrompton.com. To listen to Erica's podcast, please visit the following website, www.redshiftonline.org slash helping hands podcast number 11. Now, Erica has also got her own music Spotify playlist, and this can be found by searching for Gail Louise Turner, Helping Hands Podcast, playlist number 11. Thank you. Hi, Erica. How are you? Welcome to podcast number 11. How are you today? I'm really well. It's been a a great week this week weather-wise. I've been getting lots of walking doing, which is really beneficial to my mental health. And um, yeah, I'm just enjoying a little bit of downtime before I start a a master's degree in creative writing next week. Oh my gosh, that's absolutely amazing. What made you want to do that? Well, I think it's more of a lifestyle choice than anything. I mean, writers notoriously don't make much money. Um, But well, you know, I really like writing. I like the lifestyle it affords me. And I've learned that I'm able to help others by sharing my story. Brilliant. And that's, that's why you're, you're here today. So, um, so tell us, let's go right back to the beginning. Now tell us how, um, how your childhood was and then tell us how you started helping people. Well, childhood was quite idyllic really. I grew up in a little village called Acton Trussell on the outskirts of Stafford. And I went to a Christian school, St. Leonard's, St. Leonard's it was called. Um, and it was just really beautiful. It was set just in the countryside, lots of rolling fields around, lots of greenery. Um, and the first song that I chose, Autumn Days, it's um, it's like a, a biblical song, choir song. Um, and we used to sing that in church as the autumn was coming, um, which is quite nice. It's on my mind now. I mean, not an autumn goes by without me singing that song to myself and, and bringing back memories of childhood. Um, but, you know, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd do all the maple dancing and giving um harvest to to the world and stuff like that in the church and um i think that that kind of christian upbringing is something that has stood me in good stead and later in life has seen me wanting to help others through my work i actually had a listen to your spotify playlist because all my listeners will know that every single podcast has a spotify playlist and in fact yours is under um gail louise turner helping hands podcast playlist number 11 erica crompton and i see here you've picked like five songs and the autumn days i because i didn't know the song i had to listen to it and then i realized it was sort of a a christian song that you would sing in church and i was amazed at that song choice because i thought wow i didn't actually know that about you at all Uh, what an interesting choice 
Well, I think it is. And I think that, you know, fundamentally being um, educated at a Christian school really changed my outlook on life. And, you know, even when I've been unwell with psychosis, which is an illness I suffer about and campaign and raise awareness around, you know, I'm never, it's never far from my mind that actually God is watching. And, you know, um, I wouldn't describe myself as Christian these days. I've described myself as spiritual and not religious, but this idea that there's a higher power that's kind of watching us and judging us and, and that everything we do actually matters in the greater scheme of things is something that I've carried with me from childhood into adulthood. So tell me your first example of helping somebody, what, what was it and what made you continue to help people? Well, you know, I was, I was kind of quite, quite helpful in a, quite generous in giving gifts when I was younger, giving people poses of flowers that I'd made and making perfume out of rose petals in the, from the garden. Um, but it wasn't really until after I'd become unwell with psychosis that I started to want to help people and that I thought I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I did. And that's when I started helping people. But kind of early on, more than anything, you know, um, it was more sort of give, giving and loving. Um, but helping people didn't really come till much later on for me. Brilliant. So I want to ask you about your Spotify playlist. Now, the only song I actually know on here is China In Your Hand by Tapal from the 80s. What made you choose that? Well, this is this is very significant to me. Um, and I can just see it right now. I was at a school disco. Uh, very young about eight years old and they played this record and it was just a magical record for me and it came on on a disco one night and my dad recognized it and he picked me up in his arms and carried me into the um the disco room to listen to it and everyone had gone home by that point and it was just really magical and to was the first um pop band that i saw in concert so that was quite special as well and um, I just fell in love with them and this track especially. And I think it's, so, I mean, it says in, in the track, it's an omen for our times. And I really think that it is, you know, people, there seems to be this thing these days where people think if you believe it hard enough, it's going to come true. And I think it's an absolute fallacy. And I think it, it you know, it robs people of, of um, otherwise good lives when they're, they're following this prophecy. Okay, so your next song now is Valley of the Shadows. Ooh, what's this about? Well, this is a jungle record, and it, it, it's not the only record that I really love from the jungle era, but I started going clubbing when I was sort of about 14, 15, very young. Um, shouldn't have done it, really. Um, but it was just a really amazing time for me. And, you know, it was a time um, about family and friends and going out, um, especially about friends and about romance and dating too. Um, but we'd go to, um, there was a club above what was Picasso's nightclub in Wolverhampton called Quest. And that was a really big um, jungle nightclub. And we'd go there in Adidas Gazelles. And it was just amazing. They played the best music. It was euphoric. We'd stay up till 4am just raving on the podium. And, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't the only club. There was another club in Wolverhampton a, a little late, a few years later on from this track called the Canal Club, which is much more sort of house music. And they actually had a canal run through the entrance in, in into the nightclub, which was amazing. Um, there was soon in Stafford, which was really good. And it kind of put Stafford on the map in a way at a time when no one really cared about Stafford. Um, you know, this whole rave scene, it, it kind of, 
it was less London centric than it had been before and that it is now in that you could really do things and get ahead living somewhere like like we you live in Stoke-on-Trent or Crewe or Staffordshire or Cheshire um, so it's just it, it's kind of um, I think at that age when I was about 15 16 I was so full of hope you know so it, it was an era of hope and it's a very hopeful song for me where anything could be possible and the world was your oyster just kind of starting to embark on adulthood um, but also it was the start of my bad times you know um, there, there was quite a lot of alcohol consumption and other stuff during that time and ultimately it set me up for a breakdown later on which we'll talk about later on um, so, so that's why it was also a dark tunnel you know the drinking and the late nights did catch up with me eventually um, but ultimately it's kind of gives me hope for that song and just reminds me of my glory days clubbing that's really good i mean and, and like i mean i don't mind telling the listeners we actually met at university studying broadcast journalism didn't we um at staff's uni and i was just amazed by your bravery and your your worth ethic because you came through everything that you obviously you suffered with and you were still there you were writing journalism you were telling your story and you know you really inspired me to come through the the other end and um i really enjoyed um attending uni with you doing the the masters in broadcast journalism really really good and um who would have thought i'd be doing a podcast with you today amazing so next song uh, i want to discuss with you is move something reflection eternal Oh yes, this is Talib Kweli and this is hip hop and um, I was probably listening to this when we were at University Gale um, wow. and it was it was great times looking back and who'd have thought we'd be here now um, discussing helping people but I think we both were helping people in, in various ways at university weren't we? That's right yes we were yeah it was good yeah I mean I mean I really really enjoyed it and I think I don't know about you but for the second time around the masters it wasn't about socializing it was about working helping people we did news days and we had to work as a team and if you didn't work as a team you wouldn't you wouldn't get anywhere would you you were all there doing your little bit to get the final result and uh, it was really really good but yeah this song tell me tell me what what it means to you well this is kind of an awakening for me on a social justice level and um talib kweli is from a movement of rap artists called the conscious rappers um they've later gone on to do albums called prisoner of consciousness because they feel a little stifled by this label um but essentially it's all about kind of um social injustice social issues politics spirituality religion and they rap about things that really matter rather than the whole kind of bling and booty that you get on most hip-hop tracks that's what talib Kweli stands for for me and this particular this is a track from an album called reflection eternal um and it kind of it propelled me to, to get up and do something and i remember i was I'd been thinking about moving to New York and doing some work out there for quite some time and listening to this track on a loop, you know, just as I was thinking about doing that gave me the impetus to actually book the tickets. And I booked a one way ticket. So there was, there might not have been any coming back. Um, but it kind of, um, it's a really good track for working out. I think um, if you're not inclined to run off to New York, but for getting things done um, and getting things done in the right way as well. Um, you know, they, they rap about like the number of black men in prison in America and they rap about um, child abuse and uh, all kinds of heavy subjects. You know, they bring it to the light. And I think a lot of these social rappers, especially Talib Kweli, um, believe that, you know, social justice will never 
we'll never see justice unless these issues are brought to the surface. So they rap about a lot of these issues to bring them bring them to the surface and make people aware of them and, and also looking at the psychology behind them. And it's fascinating to listen to, not just to dance to, um, but also to listen to you. I mean, Talib Kweli is a great storyteller. So you can sit with the headphones on and listen to an album and you can really feel like you've been taken on a journey with Talib Kweli. Um, so I'd urge anyone to check him out. Definitely. Um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that you look at the psychology of people and how they tick and of telling the story as well. That sounds exactly like me. So I'm, I'm, I must, I must check that one out. So your, your last song on, on this list is called Insane by Liam Fellin, if I've said that correctly. That's right. Yeah. Li Liam Phelan. Um, and he's, he's a great example. He's a hip hop artist. So it, it ties in sort of naturally to what I was listening in my late and early thirties. Um, but Liam Phelan, he is a hip-hop artist and a lo-fi artist. Now, lo-fi has, it has radicalised the way I listen to music these days, you know. Um, it's all on YouTube. There's, there's a lot of lo-fi hip-hop on YouTube. And it just, you can get hip-hop radio that's 24-7, or you can get a two-hour playlist that doesn't have the advert. And it's just like, it calls itself music to study and read to. And it really is that you can just really chill out to this. You can sit down with a good book by the fire or you can you can sunbathe and have it on in the background. And it is your go to for when the Valium runs out. It really is chilled out. Um, and, be, you know, it really has changed the way I listen to music as well. You know, I'm less inclined to put a CD on these days and I'm more inclined to log on to YouTube. And you can also take part in a community while you're there. There's, there's a little chat room when you when you log on to any mixtape. And you can chat to other listeners all over the world, uh, many ages. It's quite big among the student age group, kind of early 20s. But you get you get old timers like me logging on there too. And it's just, um, it's really relaxed. And Liam Phelan, he he was on one of the tracks that um, that I like, one of the playlists. It was Sleepyhead by the Jazz Hop, Hop Cafe, who um, do lo-fi hip-hop mixes. Um, and I liked his track so much that I actually interviewed him and put in a, a little magazine that I make called Hope Zine um, to kind of, I, I asked someone, it's, it's all about, my, my magazine is all about um, helping people who feel low and suicidal and give them hope for a brighter future. Um, so I, I basically, um, someone that was on sickness benefits and unemployed, I gave them a little bit of cash to review his album and see if it also had such a relaxing effect on them and it did so everyone won she got paid I got my article and Liam got a little bit of press I think it was his first printed article um so that was really nice and it's just you know every night in lockdown you know we're kind of stuck at home and it's just so nice to log on to YouTube and just find the latest um, lo-fi mix and literally if you just go onto YouTube and type in lo-fi all these mixes will come up and you can pick one and, and most of them are free from ads and there's some good ones chill hop cafe um the jazz hop cafe chilled cow those are just a few of the, the channels that you can listen to and you can change the way you listen to music as well yeah i i mean i love youtube and uh, and forever on there so i know today we often go to youtube instead of when we were sort of a kid in the 80s we'd have the four four tv channels and that's all we had but today 
I often just sit there and watch YouTube on the television because that's what I've got access to. So I think it is a different way of doing things. And, you know, it sounds like that absolutely helps you and it helps others as well. And, and that's exactly what we want to do. Get your story out there to help people. Now I'm going to discuss um, a really, really hard subject with you now. And I know you wanted to bring this up. So um, I know you have a history of paranoid schizophrenia and you lived with an experience of psychosis. Could you just um, t tell us that and how you coped with it? Absolutely. And I think that music has been a big help, especially hip hop in coming to terms with that. And just feeling like I've had a friend to hold my hand through it all, listening to the stories that they're telling me while I've got my headphones on. Um, but I suffered from psychosis since I was about 19 years old. Um, and it means that I lose touch of reality. So when I was 19, I had my first job at the Daily Telegraph. Um, and I thought that the people I worked with were trying to get me to blow up Canary Wharf in, 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 with subliminal, subliminal messages through the radiant radio and television. Um, so things like that. I, I finally got a diagnosis in 2001 when my mum took me to the doctor's. And the diagnosis then was um, psychotic depression. I've had quite a few diagnoses before they settled on paranoid schizophrenia and today it's schizoaffective disorder. Um, but I got help and I got some medication, some antipsychotic medication, which, which really helped calm me down and get some sleep because I wasn't sleeping at the time. Um, so yeah, um, music has really helped me. Um, it's just that kind of, especially hip hop, because of the storytelling that I mentioned earlier and how these hip hop artists kind of take you on a journey. It's a bit like having a friend when, when there are no friends around. Um, but yeah, I've learned to manage it over time. And when I say over time, I've lived with this for two decades now. Um, today, obviously, I says I've got um, schizoaffective disorder. So the diagnosis has changed early but I'm on quite a high dose of antipsychotic medication and that makes me tired. So for instance, last night I was tucked up in bed and asleep by 9 p.m. Uh, and that's not unusual for me to, to, to find the day has left me weary quite early on and, and get tucked up in bed for an early night and then, and then rise at sort of five or six um, and get up and get on with the day. Um, it means I can't hold down a full-time job um, which is one of the reasons why, having lost a lot of writing work, um, I signed up for the MA in Creative Writing. Um, so, you know, that'll give me the funds to kind of get by for another year. And, you know, I'm just kind of winging it, getting by on a women a prayer and, and a bit of benefits and a bit of its self-employment earnings um, in the meantime. Um, but never say never, you know, I hope that with the right care plan and the right supports in place that eventually I will come to get maybe a part-time job and then slowly increase those hours after that. Because um, when, when we were at uni together, I know you were, you were a freelance journalist and you were doing um, your work at home on a computer and, and you needed to eat healthy, you needed to look after yourself and went for walks and things. And so you still managed to sort of cope with your illness by, by doing things that slightly differently. That's right, yes. And I mean, I always say I've got um, a framed picture in my office where I am right now. And it's um, a printed article from a section of the New York Times that I had published. Now, I wrote that article in, when I was in bed. Um, so, you know, it's kind of success and not success at the same time. Um, but by telling my story and doing that work as a journalist, people are able to relate to that. 
they might think actually I might need some help and it might prompt them to go and seek help from a GP or it might just make them feel less alone or they might have a sibling or a partner that they recognize the symptoms in who can urge them to go to the GP. Um, so, you know, this, this kind of writing about my mental health has really seems to have helped others. And I remember it was 10 years ago I wrote my first article, Living with Psychosis. Um, it was a splash in the independent. And I got 300 emails that day. It felt like my birthday. And people just thanking me. They couldn't believe it. They wanted to take me for a drink. They were, they were so happy that I'd published this piece because it was one of the first kind of first person journalism pieces to really get a prominent position in the paper um so you know after that I thought I'm going to stick at doing this I think it's something I think it's like my life's calling or my work's calling um so I thought I'd stick at this but you know I've tried everything to to help myself you know I think um I've got a book out at the moment and I'll give it a plug now it's called The Beginner's Guide to Sanity and I've written it with a psychiatrist called Stephen Laurie and it's out in all good bookshops from Amazon to, to Waterstones to Foils. Um, but basically, I, I've tried about 100 different things to keep myself well and sane, different types of therapy, different alternative remedies, different fads. Um, and I write about those in this book. And then the, the psychiatrist, Stephen, he gives them his clinical sanity check as to, uh, you know, why, or why they might help or why they're not proven to help yet. Um, and he also talks at the beginning of the book about what psychosis is and why we might need diagnosis. Um, all the time I reflect on what he's saying and relate it back to my own situation and circumstances. Um, so, I mean, we hope it's helpful to others. Um, everyone's experience of psychosis will, will be completely different to the next. Um, but we hope that that book, in, in lieu of decent mental health services because the conservatives are axing them to the bone we hope this book will be um, an important tool for people's recovery from psychosis oh, so that's incredible that is and and how you've brought that book into the the forefront and it's helping others as well that is amazing now you were also a keynote speaker now tell me about this because this really interests me how did you get involved to be a keynote speaker well it was actually a direct message on twitter can you believe wow wow yes i want to um, there was a conference on in 2014 um, and it was Janssen who are a pharmaceutical company and they were running a conference called Better Outcomes for Schizophrenia and they wanted a keynote speaker to talk about their direct experience of stigma. Now back in 2014 people, I mean people now are, that are open and honest about having schizophrenia and psychosis are few and far between. Um, so the agent at A Speakers had had this request for someone to talk about stigma and she didn't have anyone on her books. But she found my articles in the mail on Sunday on Twitter and she sent me a direct message. And it's so funny, actually. Um, I had no idea about the whole public speaking circuit. But at the time I was working as a comment moderator for the Mail Online. And she says, would you be interested to do this, this, um, this talk? At a conference and I thought well that'd, that'd be really interesting I'll meet some good people I'll I'll get to improve my public speaking maybe learn something about myself so I agreed to do it and when she asked what my rates were I gave her my rates for the mail online which is just like a, a typical job as salary in the media um, and she was like well actually that would be a massive insult to my other speakers to put you in at that rate how about a thousand pounds an hour and I was like god you can 
I can burst into tears on the spot for a thousand pounds an hour and need to be wheeled off the stage I'll do it <laughs> wow that is incredible and then they, they signed me up after that and um, basically about not not since covid but prior to that for the last kind of four years I've been doing maybe um, two or three public lectures every year and they're very lucrative but you also meet some really interesting people there and it's my chance to have dinner with psychiatrists which kind of um it always feels a bit weird like you know they always psychiatrists always seem so unapproachable when you're a patient and you just sat there like you know with your 15 minutes with them but actually you know they're just people too and when I get booked for these talks it's often for psychiatrists like at the end of the talk they'll all go for dinner and I sat having dinner as a patient with all these psychiatrists oh my gosh and so do you worry about people putting a label on you do you know what I mean and treating you different because you've got that diagnosis or people sort of open-minded and and try and get the best for you how how do people react when you tell them you've got schizophrenia well it's a minefield really some people react terribly I mean a great example is online dating where I've had people shut down their accounts because their family are scared for their safety after I had the conversation about my diagnosis with them so Clearly, some people are still terrified of others with schizophrenia like me. Um, but then there'll be other people that you meet that maybe have their own anxieties or depression who will get it and they take medication for their condition or they have therapy and they totally get it. Um, so and then there's a real solidarity between other people with schizophrenia. Like, you know, you get a blind community or a deaf community. Well, there's also um, a schizophrenia community and there'll be a lot of solidarity among um, people with this condition. Reading on your website, um, which is, remind me, on www.ericacrompton.com, it says here that you have written for the New York Times. That's right, yes, as I mentioned earlier, I've got that piece in the office and I actually wrote that while I was in bed. Um, And it's just freelance, you know, I approached um, approached the editor with a few ideas and he stuck with it. He liked one of the ideas, I wrote it out, we went through some edits and it ended up both online and in the newspaper, although only available in America. Um, But he sent me some from the New York Times very own head office, he sent me a couple of Um, newspapers with the article in and I got it framed wow that is incredible now uh, you have just had something fantastic and in fact this is how I um I well we've been talking for years and we're friends but this is how I decided to interview you because I just I saw on your Facebook that you got a certificate of appreciation for the help you do that's right um stoke bbc radio stoke um I did an interview with louise stones on her make a difference program and it's all about people that are making a difference locally. Um, and, it, you know, I'd, I'd got in touch with Louise. My neighbour had actually said, you know, she's great. I love her show. She's so personable. And she says, you should get in touch and tell her about your book. And, you know, I love my neighbours. I'll take their advice. So I did. I got in touch. And, you know, um, but Louise got in touch with me. She replied. And she says, well, we're actually doing this show called Make a Difference. And yeah, I went on the show um, and it was really nice and Louise was lovely. We had to record a few times um, because of background noise and problems with the speakers. Um, But it was great. Yeah, I spoke to Louise and we did the recording and it's going online soon. And I got a certificate to thank me for making a, a difference in people's lives. Yeah, and I think that's what you're doing. You've always done that since since I've known you, and and you and you're still campaigning to help you know yourself and other people with 
sort of mental illness and, and you, you've sort of got that campaigning in your forefront all the time and I, and I think that's amazing so I'm going to ask you what you're up to now at the moment um well at the moment um I've got the the, create, the master's degree that, that's coming up uh, but also more recently um I had a, an inconveniently time breakup just ahead of my 40th birthday um, but I bought myself a little white cottage in Wallstanton and I'm currently in the middle of getting the kitchen done so that will be a really nice when it's finished a bit of a hassle while it's going on um so I'm getting I'm getting the house all in order really and just um you know spending my student loan wisely i.e not on books <laughs> um but yeah that's that's what I plan to do um I'm hoping to get I've got some more relatable writing to share with people that I'm hoping will be my memoirs so I'm looking for an agent for that if anyone is out there and would like to represent me please get in touch um but yeah my memoir is basically you know it's less clinical than the beginner's guide to sanity and it's all the things that have not just helped me deal with psychosis but that have personally touched me so for instance after I was in hospital in 2009 and diagnosed with schizophrenia um, I went to stay on a Hare Krishna farm to do some farming and learn about eco farming techniques. Um, and, you know, the community there really touched me. So I've written a whole chapter on, on the Hare Krishna community and, and what I learned from them and how they touched me. Uh, and then there's the stuff on other spirituality, on art. You know, I've got a degree in art, so art's quite important to me. And just all the things that really kind of are meaningful to me and have helped me on my journey, I've included in my memoir. So I'm kind of trying to get a book deal for that at the moment. So where do you see your future then? So I know you can continue to help people, but what would you like to do that isn't in the forefront yet? Um, well, I would like to get more books out. And the first thing I need to do is get an agent, which is easier said than done. Um, so I guess I'll be continuing writing. Um, I would like to get off benefits and write full time. At the moment, my, my income is split between benefits and self-employment 50-50. And I'd like to slowly increase it so that 100% of my income is my earnings from writing. Um, so that has been a long-term goal. Um, I would like a house in the countryside. I would like a dog. I would like a Maltese Terrier. I've got two cats as it is. Um, but I would like more animals, maybe a pony. Um, you know, everything that I want basically costs a fortune. So I'm going to need to find some income somewhere. Buy my book. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So what, what's your book called again? So everyone can go and buy it. It's called The Beginner's Guide to Sanity on Hammersmith Health Books. And where and where can they buy it from? So I presume Amazon? Amazon, like Amazon, Foils, Waterstones, all online. Um, the Book Depository. If you Google The Beginner's Guide to Sanity, um, or even just Erica Crompton, the book will come up and there'll be links where you can buy it fantastic so many thanks erica for joining me on podcast number 11 um this show will have a accompanying spotify playlist which is a really really great music playlist um and that can be found on spotify on gail louise turner helping hands podcast playlist number number 11 and if you'd like to listen to erica's podcast please go to www.redshiftonline.org slash helping hands Many thanks, Erica. Enjoy the rest Thank of your you day. Thank you very much, Gail. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.